0: I one wondering.
1: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face to face. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter on television, they can go to www.hotm, that's heartofthematter.tv, and watch streaming video from anywhere in the world. They can also watch, or you can also watch, any of the shows that have been archived. They're all available there on the site. Also, you can hear Heart of the Matter on AM 820. The Truth, K-U-T-R, The Truth here in the Salt Lake uh, Valley, 50,000 watts of AM power, a great station, great programming. So it's uh, AM820, The Truth, or H-O-T-M.TV to watch streaming video. Hey, it's our second annual Christmas open house here at uh, the station. We would love for all of you to come when Friday, December 5th, from 7 to 9 p.m. Last year, we had several hundred people show up, great uh, decorations, great music, great food. We have cookies and hot chocolate, and everybody who has a show here at TV20 is here on their set. Last year, we took pictures of everybody and um, gave them out as our gift. So we hope you'll set that day aside Friday evening, December 5th from 7 to 9 p.m. here at TV20 and uh, join us for that uh, special event. Well, it pretty much goes without saying that the United States of America, this nation's nation, is in the midst of one of the most ferocious battles for its soul. And uh, with soul, I am defining that as the mind, will, and emotion of our country. As I drive around uh, this beautiful state of Utah and back at my home in California, I see rabid campaigning for this issue and cult-like promotion for that issue or this individual. And I'd like to take a moment and speak to this. Not because I think of what I'm going to say is going to really cause any effect tonight or tomorrow or this year or whatever, but maybe someday uh, somebody will take a minute out of their day and be able to replay this commentary somewhere. And maybe someday someday there will be uh, even more of a pressing need for someone to hear what I want to say. Now, uh, my words uh, tonight are to the confirmed Christians of all denominations. And I am speaking specifically to people who have embraced the Lord as their Savior and King in their lives. So while the world or our nation is falling all over themselves for change and for hope and for a uh, Savior, if you will, let me remind you that we have already discovered Him. And he came with the only valid and lasting message of hope and salvation around. He came and he offered us the only place where true solace can be found and where true solace can be trusted. The answers to our problems and the problems of our nation do not lie and never have been found in any elected official in his or her abilities or charisma or strengths. The world has never found salvation in the power of men, only, in the end, despair. Remember, my friends, that it is the church's job, your pastors, your priests, your reverends, to bring you, week after week, closer to the true and living Savior through his word, It is from the pulpit that all seekers and believers ought to embrace the only true campaign speeches ever given, which come directly from the Word of God. The Church of Jesus Christ has no business, none at all, in politics. We know where salvation lies for children and teens and adults and parents, for education, for our community, and for the world itself. Salvation lies in Jesus Christ. To the Christian, anything and everything else is but a temporary and insufficient fix. Contrary to the focus and drive of most Christian radio and television ministries, our hope and duty lies not not in social activism, but in Jesus and Jesus alone. In sharing Jesus, in exemplifying Jesus, in loving and teaching as Jesus would love and teach. This is his message to us But the church and its representatives have somehow decided that it is a Christian duty, our Christian duty, to save the world. Baloney. Like many of you, we have been swamped with dire warnings about our future, with calls to arms against the destructive powers that loom precariously on our horizon. We are deluged with insipid reminders that it is our duty, our Christian duty, to stand out in the street and fight against the filthy rivers that are collecting, even threatening to, to saturate our American way of life. Recently I received yet another of the dozens of emails as a call to action from well-meaning Christian friend who I went to school of ministry with. He sent me an attached video and he suggested that every pastor that we could come in contact with would air this video in their churches on Sunday. I sent him a response, and I'm going to read it. I wrote, on Mulberry Street, USA, there are three homes. In one home lives a man uncertain about what he believes in relative to God. In the other home is a Christian, and in the other house lives an atheist. What is the Christian's hope in this situation and in this neighborhood? To get the undecided man to stand against abortion and gay marriage or some other social issue, Or to get the man to know Jesus personally. More and more, Christianity is becoming a public stance against social ills instead of a public sharing of Jesus. No, they are not the same. How readily would Mr. Not-So-Sure-Who-Or-What-He-Believes-In listen to or respect his Christian neighbor if the neighbor spent all of his time and energy lashing out against the evils of this world? But how inclined would the same neighbor be toward hearing the message of Christ if this Christian neighbor lived a peaceable, loving, happy, open life of Christian love? I think we are collectively and individually losing the challenge of the great commission Jesus gave. This is just as gut-wrenching to me as all, all the horrible social ills we're trying to reform. If the world needed a political mover and shaker to save it, this is what Jesus would have been. But he wasn't, not even close. He was a saver of souls, a lover of men and truth and women and children. And and as a creator, he was a sharer of eternal truths. I read of no thing in the word that states a Christian must be involved in public issues or political affairs. Not one. If someone wants to call the show and bring it out to my attention, I'd love to read it. Open my eyes and show me. But I don't see that as being part and parcel of the Christian walk. I've got news for you. We are never, ever going to win the war against this world. We will never, ever stop its progress of evil. But we can certainly, as believers, share this message, this message that has saved us with the war-torn casualties who lie bleeding and wounded in its wake. This is what Jesus did. This is what we must do. This is our Christian duty. Pray by all means for the social ills. Love always. Teach and live truth, yes. But don't make Christianity an arm of public political action. Whew. I recently stopped by Utah Lighthouse Ministries and had a short conversation with Sandra Tanner. I needed some advice on some books, which I received Uh By the way, Utah Lighthouse Ministries is running a special where they will give you I Was a Born Again Mormon as a gift when you purchase $40 or more of books or other resource material. So go to utlm.org for more information on that. But anyway, one of Sister Tanner's recommendations to me was a book called The Golden Bible or The Book of Mormon, Is It From God by M.T. Lamb. This thing is amazing. I mean, even if you go and just order this book, you'll be amazed. It's full of tremendous insights, and it's a great read. You see, M.T. Lamb was this preacher back in the 1800s who really, I mean, really examined the Book of Mormon linguistically and contextually and then comparatively against the Word of God. Nearly every page presents a diamond of perspective in which I have never considered. And what I think I'm going to do as I work my way through this book is do a little segment at the beginning of each show and reveal some of these diamonds that he's revealed. So here's tonight's. (coughs) Excuse me. Brother Lamb takes the Bible and shows the exquisite nature of God's Word. He shows how when the Holy Spirit fell upon people and caused them to write, Uh, what God would have them write, and he shows how these revelations were extremely concise and yet overflowing with depth and meaning, uh, especially the more and more you read them. Now, the important thing to remember about the Book of Mormon is that Joseph Smith did not translate the Book of Mormon. Not a single sentence of the Book of Mormon was translated by Joseph Smith. Sometimes people get the idea that he had the plates in front of him and he sort of read the ancient language and then dictated what the ancient language said. This is not so. The three witnesses wrote that he translated the book by the gift and power of God. And you're going to understand what that phrase means in just a second. David Whitmer, one of the three witnesses, said, Quote, the tablets or plates were translated by Smith who used a small oval or kidney-shaped stone that he called the Urim and Thummim that seemed endowed with the marvelous power of converting the characters on the plates when used by Smith into English. So the characters etched on the plates, according to Whitmer, were converted into English by the marvelous power endowed in this rock. Now, how did this process actually occur? Martin Harris, another of the three witnesses said, by aid of the seer stone, sentences would appear and were read by the prophet, so that the translation was just as it was engraven on the plates, precisely in the language, then used by the people who wrote on the plates, okay? Recall that Joseph put his face in a hat with that stone inside of it and words would appear to him in the form of sentences and Joseph would read the words out loud and if they were correct and recorded correctly, once read back to him, they would disappear in the hat and would be replaced by the appearance of more precise words. This was not translating. It was Joseph reading dictation and a scribe recording what he said. So clear was the writing that witnesses claim that there were even occasions when a word would show up that Joseph didn't even know how to pronounce, and he would spell it out so the scribe wouldn't make any error in transcribing it to the paper. Okay, you got all that? Now, the LDS claim that this is why the Book of Mormon is superior and can be trusted over the Bible, because it has not been Translated and retranslated by men and making errors and, and things like that, but instead came from the original writer's hands on the plates by the power of God through the rock to one single man who read the sentences and gave them to the person acting as scribe. The language of the Bible is exquisite and profound and succinct. Now, let me read from you a few direct quotes, which, remember, supposedly came directly by the power of God before Joseph Smith's eyes and into the Book of Mormon, which he read. Remember now, God wrote out what Joseph read. This is a quote, Yea, if my days could have been in them days. That's the language of God translating directly to Joseph Smith. A quote, and they did arrive to the promised land. And and there's another one. And thus we see that they had buried their weapons of peace, or they buried their weapons of war for peace. This is the language, again, of the Book of Mormon. Now, I have no issue with Joseph. If he was the author of the Book of Mormon, which the Book of Mormon said he was in the first editions, that he was the author and proprietor of the book, they took that out later on. And if he was the author of the book, making these types of grammatical errors. But to receive the actual words from God, as they claim, through the stone into the hat, and to suggest that God speaks like this or writes like this, automatically throws the whole thing into question. There are hundreds and hundreds of these, but let me give you some of the most ludicrous of them all. In Alma it says, Yea, there were no robbers, nor murderers, neither any Lamanites, nor any manner of ites, but they were one, the children of Christ. God had Joseph write no manner of ites, no stalagmites, no stalactites, no menentites, no gay rights, no bar fights, no Shiites. Come on! Here's one of the all-time greats, and went forth among the people. Waving the rent of his garment in the air that all might see the writing which he had wrote upon the rent. Listen to that. That is God speaking. You read the Bible, you have the most poetic, ingenious pieces of language. And you read the Book of Mormon and you get through writing like this. Is this unacceptable for an author? Uh, Even yes, that is. But it's acceptable and it's understandable. It's even understandable for somebody translating the book, but if God is directly giving the words through a rock to a prophet, there should be not one grammatical error, let alone some of these other syntax and other types of errors. Think about it. We're going to examine next week Book of Mormon Miracles, and the fact that these miracles are read and actually believed is amazing. With that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we pray uh, for our nation. We pray for this time, we thank you for it. We ask you to open our eyes and ears and hearts. Let us have a good dialogue. Let the callers uh, be open and uh, let uh, me say the things you want. Bless our audience here and out in the viewing uh, world wherever they may be. We thank you for our volunteers in this station. In Jesus name, amen. Excuse me, two weeks ago we started talking about the word of wisdom. Which is where the LDS get their codes of of health. We talked about the circumstances in which Joseph Smith received the revelation. Last week, we showed how little the revelation actually meant to Joseph Smith, since after it was given, he continued to drink alcohol and use tobacco. Tonight, we're going to look at how the LDS application and interpretation of the word of wisdom has evolved over the years and where it is today the watermark of holiness for Latter-day Saints to live with God once again. In the journals and histories of the church, as well as other reliable historical places, the evidence is ample that the early Latter-day Saints uh, understood the word of wisdom in some very liberal ways. After all, it was given by way of a principle, like advice for the saints, and not by way of a commandment. It says it right in the text. Remember that in general, the Christian community was far more legalistic in the matters of drinking and smoking than the Mormons were in the first 70 years of their existence. With Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, B.H. Roberts greatly enjoying uh, in and partaking of the many fruits of the earth. In 1898, nearly 45 years after the death of Joseph Smith, the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve sat down and deliberated over the word of wisdom. I believe with polygamy now starting to be forced out by the uh, federal government, no longer being able to practice it legally, and it was being edged away, they needed something else to keep themselves separate, unique, peculiar from the world, and that's when the Word of Wisdom began to get legs and take force. Lorenzo Snow, who was the president of the Twelve Apostles at that time, started to teach that the Word of Wisdom should be live to the letter, including the refusal to eat any meat except in extreme circumstances of famine because Joseph Smith taught that animals have spirits. The prophet at the time, Wilford Woodruff, agreed, but said that they should hold off on enforcing it to the people, especially the eating meat part. The minutes of the meeting uh, set read, Quote, President Woodruff said he regarded the Word of Wisdom in its entirety as given of the Lord for the LDS to observe, but he did not think bishops should withhold temple recommends from persons who did not adhere to it strictly. End quote. Good job, Wilford. So at that point, at least they were still at least recognizing that it was given. It was probably good advice, but it was not a commandment, and we're going to keep it that way. That was 1898. Now, either the Word of Wisdom was from God's mouth or it was not. Either it was to be obeyed, to display worthiness, or it was not. Either a man was defiled by drinking alcohol or smoking cigarettes, or he was not. There's no difference than a man or a woman today taking a drink and being wholly defiled and not being allowed to go into the temple and Brigham Young being able to take the same drink and it being okay. Defilement is defilement. But it seems that even after the turn of the century, LDS leaders couldn't agree what was true or right regarding this law or this principle. After Lorenzo Snow became the president of the church, he again stood fast for strict obedience to the word of wisdom, including not eating meat. But even some of the 12 apostles did not believe uh, that meant they couldn't drink beer and many of them enjoyed Danish beer and what they called current wine. Apostles Anton Lund and Matthias Cowley enjoyed Danish beer and current wine immensely, as did did Charles W. Penrose. Emmeline Wells, a member of the Relief Society and later a Relief Society president, enjoyed an occasional cup of coffee. And George Albert Smith took brandy for, he says, medicinal reasons. That's why I drink tequila. It's medicinal. Joking. I don't drink it. I'm just kidding. Apostles George Teasdale and and President Woodruff thought eating pork was far more serious than drinking coffee or tea. And it probably is. Heber J. Grant appears to have been the most vocal in favor of total word of wisdom adherence. He was the leader in the state prohibition movement, and Grant was outraged, absolutely outraged, when he learned that some of his apostles, some of the apostles, actually opposed the prohibition of beer sales at the Salt Air Saloon. Keep the party going, they shouted. Not really. I made that up. But it sounds like it might be something they would have said. When Lorenzo Snow died, Joseph F. Smith took his place, and he sort of echoed Heber J. Grant's strong opinions for the Word of Wisdom. But the use of meat sort of, once and for all, miraculously disappeared. You want to see the biggest carnivores on earth? Look at the Mormons. And yet their own Word of Wisdom says no. So it's really interesting to me when God's Word, which they say is God's Word, is just willy-nilly applied or not applied. I mean, if you believe it, you believe it and you follow it. And if you don't, you don't. But, I mean, why is it the pick and choose? I, I love the same thing with the Sabbath day. I have a relative of mine who loves the Sabbath day. You obey the Sabbath day. But if her son has a baseball game on Sunday... He gets to kind of go play, you know, because he's part of the team. He's got to support the team. I mean, it's just, it's a smorgasbord. If it suits my life, I obey. If it doesn't, I don't. That's just how it is. God understands. We have commandments, but they're really not that important. You know, uh, forget grace. We live by law. You know, all this stuff. It's absolutely insane. By 1902, the first presidency and 12 agreed not to fellowship with anyone who frequented or operated saloons. I wonder if this would have included the Marriott family today. If the Marriott family was around who operates uh, most of the uh, hotel saloons in the world, like this a pre- a predominant uh, share of, of bars in the world, I wonder if the, they wouldn't have associated with the Marriott Center or allowed them to have uh, I mean, the Marriott family or allowed them to have a Marriott Center there at B- on BYU's campus. They also urged at this time, 1902, that stake presidents refused to give flagrant violators of the Word of Wisdom temple recommends, like those who got drunk. They did suggest leniency, however, on old men who liked tobacco and ladies who enjoyed their tea. By the mid-1905, a campaign to obey the Word of Wisdom and not be allowed in leadership started to take hold under the new First Presidency. Listen to this, and to be consistent with this focus, they made an administrative change beginning in July 1906 to replace sacramental wine in the temple meetings with water. Now, really, pause and think about this, all right? Jesus himself drank wine and commanded us to drink wine in remembrance of his blood. It makes total sense, but not to the Mormons. This is when the Andy starts getting involved. They want to remove themselves as far away as they can from traditional Christianity. So they've gotten to the point that their communion, they take, you can use saltine crackers and, and water. In fact, it's not just water, it's water from the tap. It's water from water, it's from pipes that where the water has sat in there for ages, and they fill up these cups and pass it out to their members. That's how much disrespect they show for this thing called communion, which we are to remember him by. I I would like it a Latter-day Saint to call and explain to me how they can justify this use of water. You know, it just doesn't make sense. No respect for the Lord at all. Now, if you're LDS, I know this may be insignificant to you, but it is not. When you are cleansed by the blood of Christ, when you look at that red fluid... And you drink that that uh, juice of the grape, and you eat unleavened bread. It brings you to that tactile uh, state where you where you have a relate you have a reminder somehow. Water, unbelievable. Between the years of nineteen o seven and nineteen seventeen, there were a number of other factors that led to greater allegiance and enforcement of the Word of Wisdom, including the Prohibition Movement and some other pressing political issues which time will not allow us to go through. In 1915, Joseph F. Smith took the enforcement of the Word of Wisdom a little bit further, saying, quote, Middle-aged men who have had experience in the church should not be ordained to the priesthood, nor recommended to the privileges of the house of the Lord, meaning the temple, unless they abstain from the use of tobacco and intoxicating drinks. The noose just kept getting tighter and tighter to the point where today only those who outwardly conform are allowed the opportunity for true salvation when it comes to um, going into the temple. One of the standard uh, questions you are asked is, do you obey the word of wisdom? And what that means is, do you ever drink coffee, tea, use tobacco products, drink any type of alcohol at all, or use harmful drugs not prescribed by a licensed medical physician? If you say, yes, I do, you do not get to enter into that temple and become exalted uh, in this state so that you can go and ultimately reach where God dwells. Prohibition under the way the 1920s were introduced, and legislation to ban the sale of tobacco was brought into the state of Utah. In 1923, Ensign article argues that tobacco users naturally link themselves with evil persons, such as profaners, criminals, vagrants, and prostitutes. And you know, this might actually be true, but what is really being said? When we come back, we'll talk about what's really being said through this thing they call the word of wisdom. See you then. Christian and Science Building at Utah State in Logan, room 202, also known as the Aggie Ice Cream Building, 725 North, 1200 East. And I remain at the University of Utah at the same location the WP. Hey, we're back. <coughs> Excuse me. So what is really being said with all this word of wisdom enforcement more and more and more? It used to be open. Hey, it's good advice for you. You'll probably live longer. Why don't you try doing it? Pretty soon, they started doing more and more, and then now they're saying, you know, if you smoke, you are hanging out with uh, prostitutes. And uh, Jesus himself said, it's not what goes into our mouth, it's what comes out of our mouth that matters. And he was emphatic on that. Next week, we're going to talk about what the Bible teaches about what you eat or drink or smoke or don't smoke, et cetera, et cetera. And I think you're going to be really amazed at what the Bible says about this from uh, the book of Romans. The bottom line is, who do they really think they are? Do they really believe as is God is, that God is impressed with them because they don't drink tea? Because they, they have been able to avoid smoking cigarettes? Because they, they so piously refuse wine at the celebrations? I mean, come on, it's just unbelievable. Some of the best people I know are addicted to these substances. They have the greatest hearts. They yes, it is a weakness. You know, but why don't we just, you know, we're supposed to avoid anything that's addicting, like oxygen and food. I mean, where does it end? Well, you know, with Mormonism, it did keep growing. In March of 1917, Frederick J. Pack of the University of Utah published an article in the LDS magazine, The Improvement Era, which asked a very important question. Should Latter-day Saints drink Coca-Cola? His answer was an emphatic, no. Why? Because even though it was not prohibited in the word of wisdom, such drinks contained the same ingredients as coffee and tea. One rule of worthiness will always lead to more. That's why the Jews had 613 commandments by the time Jesus came around. When one person obeys, everybody else better obey or else they're looked down upon. That's the game. So rabid was the topic of Coca Cola that the Coca Cola Company actually called and complained to Heber J. Grant, President Heber J. Grant, that as a result of this fanaticism, false things were being said about their product. They were saying that it contained five times as much caffeine as a cup of coffee, when in fact, a cup of coffee has 1.7 grams of caffeine and a cup of Joe has only. grams of the same amount. I mean, a cup of Coke only has 0.43 and coffee has 1.7. In the end, the LDS leadership has not taken an official stand on the use of caffeinated drinks, (laughs) except to say that members should not use any substance that might be harmful to the body or addictive. Last time I went to Taco Bell... I did not see one Latter-day Saint refusing to eat the Enchirito. They gobbled them down in by the dozen. Again, another ignoring the vegetable part of the Word of Wisdom. Since obedience to the Word of Wisdom became requisite for exaltation in Mormonism, varied opinions have surfaced among its members of what allowed and what is not. Nevertheless, the recommend currently stands of what I just said. Perhaps the most important thing about the Word of Wisdom is its canonicity, canonicity, excuse me. Let's open up the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. First time callers, please, preferably LDS, please turn down your television sets and try to have a uh, concise question or comment ready, all right? So... The canonicity, let's just talk about the doctrine really quick as we're waiting for the operators to get through. LDS people write me and they say, The Adam God teaching is not doctrine because it was never placed in one of the books of canon. It has never been officially brought in, okay? So, on the one hand, was the doctrine and covenants made canon? It was by a sustaining vote in 1880 that the Doctrine and Covenants would be binding upon church membership. All right? So based on the evidence, I would agree that the Word of Wisdom is LDS Doctrine. Good. But what does the Revelation say? The Word of Wisdom is Doctrine. It's in the uh, uh, Doctrine and Covenants. We can accept that it is Doctrine. What does it say? It says that it's a principle given with a promise, and it says emphatically, not by way of commandment. And yet today, the word of wisdom has been enforced as, uh, as even something that has to be obeyed to receive your salvation by getting the new and everlasting covenant and the, and the uh, other things that you get by going through the temple. The problem is this reveals the inconsistency and the manipulation the Mormon hierarchy uses upon its people. It has to do more with authority and power and manipulation taking precedence over what is just the facts than what you you eat or drink. Even though among the, the common masses, if you touch coffee or any of those other things, it is just like anathema. You are the worst of the worst if you do that. But Bottom line, it really is about control. It really is about them saying, yeah, it's written in this book, that it's not by way of commandment, but we're going to make you uh, uh, adhere to it. And uh, that is the problem, in my opinion, with the word of wisdom and how it's applied today. All right. Let me get these glasses back on. Let's go to Monty and Ogden. Monty, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah. Hello. Hello, Monty. Hi. Hi. You're on the air. Okay. You're on the air. Okay. You got to turn your TV down, Monty. Okay. Hi, Sean. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Monty.
2: I'd just like to congratulate you. You've got a nice show, and I appreciate what you're doing.
1: Well, thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate uh, it. God well, bless you.
2: I've got a comment. Okay. Are you still there? Yes, I am. I'm up here on the mound, and I, I, I actually called you about six months ago, and I,
1: and are you still there? I'm still here, man. You got to turn that TV down. Okay. Monty's not obeying the word of wisdom. <laughs> I'm, uh, is Sean there? You're on the air, Monty. I'm here. Okay. Sean, I called in with a comment.
2: Yes. Let's get serious for a second.
1: All right, go ahead.
2: Okay. I called in uh, with uh, Jesus said, raise the dead, heal the sick, restore sight to the blind. Are you with me?
1: Yeah. Oh, Monty.
2: Okay. He Mon- said, these things you've seen me do, ye do also. <coughs> yes. So when I started into Christianity... I didn't see uh, coffee drinking or polygamy or uh, suit and tie. All I seen was, where's raised the dead and stuff? Yeah. Who's, who's doing this? This is serious. I mean, if Jesus was Jesus and he said this and he did this, he set an example for me to see that is absolutely astonishing, and he got my attention real seriously. So
1: if you oh. raised the dead, Monty?
2: Here's the deal. Last Memorial Day, my little daughter, besides another 10 or 20, I can't remember how many in the past, but my little daughter got creamed in a four-wheeler accident down in Spanish Fort Canyon, Utah. She was rushed to Primary Children's Hospital lifelight and declared dead. I was on my way to the hospital, and I screamed out to Jesus. I said, you just help me stop that right there before we get there and, and raise her back up. I went down there, and we endured a 40-day coma, holding back physicians, holding back the whole thing going on down there, because they kept trying to convince us to just pull the plug and go home. It's over. Well, I got flat violent about it, and I says, Jesus is coming. You just wait till he walks in here before anybody makes a move. Okay, the little girl, her name's Sydney Bailey, she rose up, came out of that bed she astonished everybody and made national headlines as a miracle now when i called you before you made fun of me saying that you was going to call and have me come and raise your dead cat Uh christianity is all about serious faith it's nothing about what goes in your mouth it's not the suit and tie or how many times you go to attendance it's about believe in jesus and ask him for what you want. Okay, he so give it to
1: you. Uh, okay, and you know what, Monty, I appreciate the call, and I remember your call, and I remember your uh, insistence on we need to be raising the dead, and I think you found an experience where you were able to associate those two things, and I praise God for the girl's recovery, hey, man. and and uh, but I am I'm just not going to assign myself. To uh, things here on the air and say it's mandatory that we're raising the dead to prove our Christianity, which was what your point was the last time you called. I'm just going to I'm going to remain aloof. God is in charge. If he does miracles, I praise him. If they're not done, I praise him. And on we go. Thanks, man. You have a good night. You too. Okay. bye bye. All right. We're going to Mary in uh, West Valley City. First time caller. Mary, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hi, Mary, you're on the air. I am? You are. You got to turn your TV down, Mary.
3: Turn the TV down a little bit, honey.
1: Okay. You're on the air. Okay. I think it has to do with my hair. I think it's just bewildering people. Hello? Mary? Yes? You're on the air.
3: Okay. Now, I just wanted to ask you, um, can you hear me? I can. Okay, I was just wondering, don't you have anything
1: better to do than doing what you're doing about other religions? Oh, Mary, uh, there's two answers to that. If you're asking me, Sean McCraney, as a man, do I have things better to do, I could probably list maybe forty to 50,000 things that I as a man could probably do better. But as a follower of Christ who was LDS, I have nothing that's more important than what I'm doing. You see, because I was raised to believe in all the lies and manipulation, and then I came to know the Lord, and I realized that I have brothers and sisters and friends and family and neighbors and a whole state of people who are still under those delusions because, the, because they haven't been able to see or hear the truth. So Mary, and there's my two answers to your question. What's, what's the problem with what I do in your book, Mary?
3: No, I'm just wondering, you know, I think you got should have better things to do than talking bad about other religions. I'm not... So I, I have a feeling... I'm talking truth about... I, wait, wait. I have a feeling that you were an LDS, and then you were excommunicated, and that's why you're doing this to the church. You know what? It's not going to hurt the church at all. So don't waste your time.
1: Well, you know, it's funny. Do you believe there's ever a time to stand up against anything, Mary?
3: You know... Just go do something better. Ma- Mary, for you, Mary, answer do my question. Do better. Mary. Don't waste your time and other people's time on this
1: stupid show. Mary, hey Mary, are you still there? Well, what have you? Do you ever feel it's necessary to to stand up against a wrong that's being done? It's not wrong, and that's oh, why you uh, do not care
3: about it because it's not wrong. It's not wrong, that's I why I s- Mary. About hey, that. Mary, no, was you Mary? You got excommunicated. Ma- and Mary, that's Mary. Why you're saying? Why Ma- were you Ma- serving Ma- the the mission at the first time? Mary. Why? Mary. Why? Tell me. Why? Why? You don't. You don't just serve the mission because you don't believe in it. No, you stood up for the church because you believed. It. I was born
1: into it, Mary. I was but fed the lies as a child.
3: And then say, I got a library now card. Now you turn around and say bad things about the church. Shame on you, Mary. Shame
1: on you. Shame on you, on you. you, shame shame on on you for you. sitting there and Girl, believing you know what? lies. You've been
3: coughing on that television for so long. I tell you, go to the doctor. I think that's better than doing Mary. Let's have the a discussion. You're doing on the television. Mary, let's have okay. a discussion. Let's have do a discussion. Better for yourself. Mary, let's have Just a discussion. Don't talk, talk baloney about other religions. Mala- because you <sighs> called her malaria now. For the church. That's why you went to serve uh, a mission. Mary. But now because you're excommunicated, you turn oh, around gosh, and say all these bad stuff about the church. Mary. go do something better for yourself. Mary. Okay. Mary? Do something better. Mary. Don't waste your time and others. I feel like
1: I'm at home.
4: Okay? That's
1: my wife's name. <laughs> And she hung up on me. Dang it. Mary. Okay, she feels good about herself. Mary, I want you to know that we get emails all the time from people who watch this stupid show. And their eyes are open to the facts that we present. And then they begin to investigate. And then they begin to see the truth. And the scales fall from their eyes. And they begin to see that Jesus is far more important than creating peace and and having warm bread at family home evening on Monday nights. That Jesus is a way of life and dedication, and it heals people, and it, and it breaks the bonds and the bondage that they're under from religion, like the one I speak against. So I hope you understand that while your view is that this is ridiculous, we do reach people who have not been able to know the Lord through Mormonism, and there are millions of them. So, okay, hope that helps. Let's go to David in Ogden, first-time caller. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, God
5: bless you, Sean.
1: God bless you, David. What's happening?
5: Um, I just, um, <laughs> you about said everything to Mary that I wanted to say to you, sir. I'm just so thankful. I was born in the under the covenant. I was raised um, with that oppression. I was, I was brainwashed. My first utterance as a two-year-old was, I'm going on a mission. Oh. I mean, I, I, I didn't have a chance, and yet God still found me, and he drew me out of that that cult of guilt and and oppression, and I'm so thankful that you're here, Sean, because my family are LDS, and I need you to reach them. But I am so I've been so hurt by the LDS that I don't have a heart for them. Um, God has given me a, an evangelistic heart for um, the people in the in the jails and the and the prisons in Utah, and that's where I go and try and share the love of Christ. Awesome. But the the LDS Um, I just, I want to just destroy their foundations the minute I talk to them and you're so tactful and I'm just thankful that a man of God like you is here in this state to be a beacon. You don't hide your light under a bushel. You put it on a hill and I'm proud of you and I'm thankful and I pray for you.
1: David, I really appreciate that. It's a perfect timed call. Because you were able to say the things I couldn't get through to Mary. I, I called
5: I called before she was even on the phone. I was in the other room because I knew about the time delay.
2: Wow. So
5: I was out of the room so I didn't hear the TV. And then I walked back in here, there because I was waiting so long and she just was raving at you. And I thought, man, if you only knew what it was like to be born under the covenant and forced into that, that bondage. <sighs> that that when you get that freedom and you actually realize the love of Christ is that huge and how great he is, and that Father God was never a man. Right. Thank God he was never a man. Right. You know, and and that, that. if Joseph saw two beings levitated above him in a a grove, it surely wasn't Father God and Jesus.
1: Amen, brother. Great call, David. Thank you so much. God bless you, son. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, we're going to Rachel in Provo. Rachel, you're on Heart of the Matter.
6: Hi, Sean. Um, I just wanted to call in response to Mary, and I just wanted to say really quick that because of your show, I actually I thought you were really pretty full of yourself at first, and I was very staunch LDS, very devout, very, you know, follow the word of wisdom and all that great stuff, and thought I was really something, you know. And I heard your show, and. And I started, you know, it started making me think. So I thought, I'm going to prove this guy wrong. And I couldn't prove you wrong. So, you know, I now because, you know, of that and because of coming to the Word of God, I've actually found Jesus. And so I praise God for people like you that are in this valley that are doing what you do because because of people like you, I've been set free. And now my children have a chance to really know Christ. So thank you. Praise God.
1: Praise God, Rachel. It. Thank you so much.
6: Hey, no
4: problem. Bye-bye. Have a good
1: one. You know, Rachel covered the most important part of in, in that. She included the things and you can always tell Christians, real Christians when you talk to them, because they give you some compliments, you know, good that you're doing your thing and you're following the Lord, but praise God. And, you know, Sean, you know, your show's been helpful to me and this and that. But God, thank God. And they always go back to the source that gets the praise. They always go back to the person who it's really about, not about me and my failures or anybody else. It's about God and his working through uh, people and places in their lives and you can hear it come through, Mary. So you hear these people, you know, this is part of why we do it. This is why Sandra Tanner does what she's done and she has taken heat for for decades upon decades upon decades for doing what she does. Heat from people and their and their their Mary esque God, my wife's going to kill me. There are Mary-esque uh, points of view against them. And you know, and there's been street preachers and there's been pastors in this uh, valley since the 1800s who have consistently taught the word of God and brought the light to people's eyes. I thank and praise God for them and pray that if you're watching and if you wonder, am I missing something? Did, am I, is my brain so warped from everything I've been taught that I can't even see what everybody else is talking about, go to the Lord. Ask him to open your eyes. Go to a good Christian church. Open the word of God and start praying, and I promise you he'll open your eyes. We're going to Nate and Bountiful. Nate, Nate, you're on on the tuberculosis show. You're on Heart of the Matter, Nate. Uh, This isn't Sean. This is? No, come watching the TV. Well, you're not supposed to be, Nate. You're supposed to be listening to me. This, you're on the air, man. Oh, hey. What's up, Sean? the delay.
0: Hey, uh, I like your show. Thanks, Nate. I dig it. I get a kick out of it. So this might be off the subject, Okay. but you were on the subject of Mormons and alcohol. And I've had, I have to tell you this, this funny story. I'm working with this Mormon, and we're doing, like, construction. And I'm, like, a student of theology, so we, we we're talking and stuff. And I probably said something like, I need a beer. And he's like, oh, that's not very godly or whatever, you know. And then I, you know, I was like, what? Whatever, you know. So, somehow, like, he was saying that, you know, in the back in the Bible days, they weren't really drinking wine. They were drinking just strong uh, grapefruit juice. And I was like,
1: what? Welch's.
0: Yeah. And so I'm like, what? There's no way. I mean, I'm like, you know the Book of Mormon, do you Do you even know the Bible? Because... Didn't lots daughters get him drunk and take advantage of him? And was it? Was not no good example there,
1: Nate? <laughs> <laughs> Say what? I said that was a good example to use with them.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I was just like blown away. I'm like, man, is that really what they teach you? Because I'm not Mormon, nor have I ever been Mormon. But I oh. was just like, no way.
1: Yeah, they they're taught that that uh, it was grape juice. It's funny though, the Pharisees. Uh, they said, you know, John, Jesus said to the Pharisees, John came neither eating nor drinking, and you said he has a demon. And the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came eating and drinking, and you called him a winebibber and a glutton. Now, they wouldn't have the word bibber as a derogatory term unless the wine had alcohol in it. So, uh, you know, there's that. There's plenty of examples. Now, drunkenness is never uh, condoned in the Bible, Scripture. Getting plastered uh, is not condoned, and it's not good. Paul actually likens getting drunk to having the Spirit. He says, instead of being drunk with wine, be drunk with the Spirit. And those of you who have really been drunk with the Spirit understand that there are similarities. You know. So you know, it's not all about this control myself and you know being an aesthetic and I'm more holy for God. It's just, you know, and I, so I think you bring up some really good points. You know, especially his line that that's not very godly. Oh my gosh, it makes me just want to retch. Do they know what godly is? It comes from the heart, your love, your compassion, your forgiveness, your uh, sensitivity, your worship of God. That is godliness. It's the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah, temperance is one of them, admittedly. But come on. Good call. I really appreciate it, Nate. Yeah, chew that. Thanks. (coughs) Bye bye. (coughs) Did he say chew that? We got, all right. We're going to Kimberly and Provo. Kimberly, first time caller. Yes,
7: yeah, Sean. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, Kimberly. How are you?
7: Great. My, I had a comment for you. Yes. Over the weekend, I had been flipping through TV channels looking for something to watch, and I happened to pawn the movie um, The Da Vinci Code. Oh. And it had speculation about Mary Magdalene being the Holy Grail, the Holy Vessel, that really, really bothered me. Here's the reason why it bothered me. Um, Christ is the Holy Grail. He is the Holy Vessel by which we must come through to be able to obtain salvation. He's the only one that can save us. And I just wanted to let everybody out there know that.
1: Okay. Well, it's a, it's a very good point.
7: Two comments, on my comment on that.
1: Thank you so much, Kimberly.
7: Thank you.
1: God bless. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. We're going to Ron and Clinton. He's a first-time caller. Ron, you're on Heart of the Matter.
5: Hi, Sean. How are you doing?
1: Doing well, Ron. How are you? Uh,
5: this, is, this is Ron, Brandon's brother.
1: Ron, Brandon's brother?
5: Yeah.
1: All right. Hey, good to hear from you.
5: Hey, I just had one, I just wanted to hear your comment on something. Okay. There's a movie out called Fireproof, Uh which is a a good Christian-based family movie. Uh Uh-huh. And you can only find it at one theater along the Wasatch Front.
4: Huh.
5: Um, And then what I was concerned about is all the other theaters along the Wasatch Front, you know, or come right out and give these movies that have sexual and violence, and all this other stuff in these movies, but they, you know, keep that movie just to one theater.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's, you know, I have a good friend, Derek, he told me that it didn't even show, it was showing in all the rest of the states. He, he even went to uh, Idaho to see that film because it wasn't showing here, and I guess finally, through some pressure, they decided to put it into a few select theaters. But, uh, you know, I don't know, we could probably do some research and find out. We'll give... Uh, We'll give the Megaplexes a call and ask them why they, there hasn't been a wider distribution of that. Because they certainly put in all those Mormon movies, like that that Sister Missionary one and that one about Emma. You know, she's looking all, hey, Joseph. Uh, you know, they oh, have yeah. no problem plastering that stuff everywhere. So yeah. uh, we'll find out about that, Ron.
0: Yeah, I bet if it was Mormon-based, it'd be all over the Los Angeles friend.
1: No kidding. Good call. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. <coughs> Cough between. We're going to Deborah in Taylorsville on line three. Deborah, you're on heart of the matter.
4: Oh my gosh, that was so quick.
1: <laughs> you you know you just timed it right, Deborah.
4: I just wasn't expecting that. First of all, I started to write down what I wanted to say because I get flustered, you know, and I forget. But oh, you'll be okay. I just wanted to say God bless you too because I really believe that you're sincere.
1: Oh, thanks, and Deborah.
4: And I'm that way, too. I'm not afraid of the truth. That's why it doesn't scare me or make me angry to watch your show. Oh, good. Um, you you told me last week to call and ask my bishop, uh-huh. and I didn't get a return to my phone calls from the bishop, but I did get a hold of this guy who's 88 years old through a friend uh-huh. who knows a lot about church history and scriptures and things like that, and he did verify that what you said is true. Oh, good. You cannot drink any form of alcohol today, and and go to the temple. Okay. And I do wonder why still the meat? I mean if you want to enforce the Word of Wisdom, why not the meat part too?
1: Sure, meat I should don't be know. there.
4: Yeah, I don't know. I would have a hard time with that. The rest I never cared about, but um, yeah. I like my meat.
1: <laughs> yeah, so do I. Hey, but Barbara, so- I'm really glad that you called back. Listen, uh, I forgot to ask you last week when you called, can we send you a book? I don't know. I would have a hard time with that. What book? It's my book. It's called I Was a Born-Again Mormon. It's not like the show. It's just uh, It just talks about uh, the Lord and gives the history of uh, Mormonism, but on the back, from a Latter-day Saint, it's not uh, a typical anti-Mormon stuff. I think you might appreciate it. If you wait on the line, our operators will get an address, and uh, you can give us your parents if you don't want us to know where you live or whatever, and we'll just send the book.
4: Well, I wouldn't mind reading it, but I was wondering, too, what about the word of wisdom that's in the Bible? What do you think about that? Because
1: next week we're going to go into what the Bible says about what you eat and drink, and I think you're going to get blown away.
4: Well, I know it says, whoso forbiddeth to eat meat is not ordained of God. Yeah, that's one. But I'm thinking about, too, the law of Moses, you know, where you're not supposed to eat shrimp, you're not supposed to eat crab and all these things, and pork, you know. Right. But the law
1: was fulfilled in Christ.
4: Well, see, that's, it's a word of wisdom for health. It's not really talking about, I don't think, the same thing yeah. with the law being fulfilled in Christ. Well,
1: watch, watch next week when we read uh, from the New Testament about what it says about what you eat and drink, and then afterwards call back and we'll talk about that one.
4: Okay, thanks, Sean. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: You know what? we got one call left, and I think she's caught. we have more than that, but we're going to try her. Joy, from Ogden, Joy, you only have literally 30 seconds.
5: Well, what I wanted to know
4: is, why do they think that now, I was taught that in 1980, when I was going to seminary with my son, that the Ensign, the Era, the Friend, and the Church News are all God's Word. It's it's like the prophet speaking to us. Why do they do that?
1: They, they have an answer and counter answer for every single thing. That's why it's so difficult to actually corner them and pin them down on what they believe. Because on one hand, they can say they believe this. And on the other hand, they can say that and they can be right on both ends which makes it so slippery. Joy, we're out of time. God bless you, my sister. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, Friday, December 5th, here at the studios, our Christmas open house from 7 to 9 p.m. We hope you'll join us, and we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.
2: I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my I'm gonna